When I was a student at Asbury Theological Seminary, I had a classmate that I will call Mullet Man. <laughs> the reason that I call him Mullet Man is because in 1992, he had naturally curly hair, but he was all business on, up front, party in the back, like he had a curly mullet. And what drove me nuts is he was always asking what grade you got. Hey, Max, what did you get in that paper for Dr. Wood's class? I got an 87. Oh, huh. I got a 99. Booyah. He's constantly doing. And he went through all however many years of Asbury Theological Seminary with a 4-0. And it drove me nuts. I hated having him in class. I hated running into him on campus. Like, I hated him. It was an issue, okay? Mullet man. And he, was, he would say these things. Oh, Max, you know, I'm going to go on for a PhD, and someday I'll be a president. I don't know if I'll be president of, like, Asbury, but maybe, you know, Wheaton or someplace like that. And I'd be like, oh, you know, you, I, the blood vessels. I mean, I, I probably got pre-heart disease just interfacing with mullet man. Now, at the end of seminary, they, uh, they have a chapel before graduation where they give out awards. And the big award that you can get is the theology award. And so I never went to chapel in seminary, but I had a professor say to me that last week, hey, Max, you should go to chapel this week. And I'm like, fine, I'll go to chapel. And guess who won the theology award? Like I did. And he came up to me after chapel and asked, how did you get that? How did, right, because, and I'll be honest, I, there was a part of me that was thinking, how did I get this? Like, you know, here's Mr. 4-0, and moment of truth and justice, Dr. Kinghorn comes up to me, puts his arm around me, and I, I'm ver I just say, I can't help it, I say, how did, you know, how did this happen? Like, what is, what is this? And he goes, Max, we all agree, you are the brightest student we've had come through Asbury in a decade. And then Mullet Man is like, right. Oh, moment of truth and justice, yes! Do you know that in my life, and I am 48 years old, that's only happened that one time. <laughs> only one time has somebody who thought they were better than everybody else been put in their place. Once. The rest of my life, I've had to deal with it. One time. Once. That's it. When John Mark was uh, three, four years old, John Mark was a handful. Okay? John Mark was loud and John Mark was in constant motion all the time. He was moving, running. Um, and so we had this family in the church where I was the children's pastor. I will call them the perfects. Um, they had three boys. Uh, no matter how long after church she talked to somebody, those boys would stand at attention, quiet, and wait. They always said, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, thank you. You know, okay, you getting the perfects now? So Mrs. Perfect would say to my wife, oh, Jenny, bless your heart. John Marcus, boy, is, isn't he a handful? And then Mr. Perfect would say things to me like, 
gosh, Max, you know, do you, do you spank your kids? I mean, do you have any discipline at home? Right. Ah. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Perfect. Mm. Yes. I, so you've encountered people like that. When, when Jillian was uh, in preschool, Jenny had gone back to work. And so I was the person that helped Jillian get ready in the morning and get her off to preschool. And I will admit, as a man, I don't do girl hair. I just, it's, it's difficult. Like, I just, I've never learned. It's hard. And, I, you know, I just can never bring my A game with girl hair. I'm sorry. And so I would take Jillian to school, you know, kind of roll out of bed, throw on some clothes, because, you know, it's just preschool. And Jenny would see her at the end of the day and go into, like, apoplectic shock. You sent her to preschool like that? I'm like... Yes, what's the problem? Like, she was on time, she had fun. Tell her the fun you had, Joel. Like, none of that. You don't want to know why? And I got told this. All the other moms will think I'm a terrible mom because she's going to preschool with a rat's nest. And I'm like, really? Yes, apparently it's a thing, okay? Now, for those of you that are students and in, and in high school, you're thinking, man, you adults are lame, you adults are lame, so let me talk about high school for a moment. Can I? High school is full of people who think they are better than everyone else. Here, let me give you a couple of ways this plays out. Oh, oh, you jocks are losers. You're losers. Guess what? I'm going to go to engineering school after graduation, and I'm going to make five times what you make collecting garbage for the nerds. <laughs> or there's the guys that do the, I'm just saying, it's, it's a thing. They're the guys that have their arm around, hey, see this girl here, fifth girl this semester? Oh, that's right. You've never had a girlfriend. In fact, you can't even say the word girl without breaking into hives. <laughs> okay? Better than you attitude is all over high school. Let me, let me just ask a question. How many of you have ever been on the receiving end of someone else who thought they were better than you? Just a show of hands. What? You mean everybody? <laughs> yes. How did it feel? Right. Mm, it did not feel great. Now, you would think, you would think that with all of this experience that we've had on the receiving end of better than you crapitude, that we would be gracious with people, we would be considerate, we would esteem others, and you would be wrong. In 2017, this is actually a thing. It's called hyperjudgmentalism. Basically, just go on to Facebook, okay? <laughs> just go on to Facebook. Hyperjudgmentalism, okay? Here's how hyperjudgmentalism works. Oh, you eat meat. Like animals, really? Oh, you don't recycle? You put stuff in a landfill? I'll just put this in my pocket then. Oh, you're a Republican? Democrat? Socialist? Really? Oh, you let your kids watch Disney? 
play violent video games, do sleepovers? Are you really a parent, <laughs> right? For those of you still in school, oh, you get your clothes from Justice? How fourth grade? You know, it just goes on. It goes on and on. Let's, when we do this, when we do this, we are condemning others just so that we can feel better about ourselves. And so I just, in case you fall asleep, I want you to know the bottom line for today. It's really simple. The I'm better than you attitude is condemning. And no one wants to be condemned. No one. Okay? Nobody wants to be condemned. Jesus dealt with all kinds of better-than-you attitudes, by the way. Okay? The Pharisees, oh, oh, Rabbi, Rabbi, we're not like those Sadducees that compromise with the Romans. All 613 commandments, baby. Woo, got it on lockdown. And you know those everyday Jews that go to Sabbath like once a month? Losers! We've got it sewed up, Jesus. And, and if it weren't just the Pharisees, Jews in general had this attitude, hey, we're God's people. You Romans, not God's people. I think I'm going to go worship God in God's temple. Oh, wait, you can't get in. <laughs> can't get in even you roman soldiers can't get in if anyone if anyone could claim i'm better than you it would be jesus right <laughs> jesus could say i'm god you're not god <laughs> like jesus could claim he's better than all of us combined and yet paul tells us that he humbled himself and took the form of a servant. Jesus has something to say about the better than you attitude. He does. And if you brought a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus has something to say about condemning, about better than you attitude. And this is from the Sermon on the Mount, okay? And we'll work, work through this together. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Now, this is the second most quoted verse in the Bible. The most quoted verse is John 3.16. The verse that anyone who's not a Christian or who's walked away from church, this is the verse they quote. Don't judge. And they specifically have it in mind for the religious people, the God squad, the Christians. Don't judge. Okay, so don't judge. What is this word? Krenos. It's used like a number of different ways in the New Testament. Uh, uh, krenos, ordinary discernment. Krenos, I think the baby needs changed. Krenos, I have krenosed this. Uh, krenos, judicial litigation. Oh, you've been served papers. You've been krenosed. Uh, krenos, a pronouncement of guilt. Not guilty. You've gotten your krenos now from the judge. Uh, krenos, a bestowal of reward. Oh, thank you. Here's, here's $5,000. You've been krenosed. Uh, krenos, an absolute determination of one's fate. At the end of all things, when Jesus separates sheep and the goats, he does a krenos to the sheep and krenos to the goats. Okay? Used here, it refers to a condemning critical attitude. Right? Now, is Jesus saying don't judge at all? 
on the surface, it kind of looks that way, doesn't it? Don't judge. I mean, it's kind of in there, black and white, Max. Throughout the rest of the New Testament, we're told to rebuke, to exhort, to warn, to correct, uh, to discern. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying don't judge with the wrong attitude, which he spells out in the next several verses. Here's verse 2. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. We have ways of saying that. Man in glass house should not throw stones. Why? Because you're going to break the glass. <laughs> and it's your house. <laughs> okay? What goes around comes around. Y'all be dogging me? Guess what? We're all going to dog you. Uh, you reap what you sow. In other words, if you're blind to your own faults, but you're nitpicking everyone else around you, people aren't going to put up with that. And the implication is God isn't going to put up with it either. All right? In other words, if you're a jerk and you think you're better than everyone else, no one is going to cut you slack. It's doggy dog. And Jesus fleshes this out further in the next several verses, verses 3 through 5. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you got a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, oh, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll see enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Why would Jesus talk about a log? Gang, Jesus has a wicked sense of humor. Think about it. Oh, let me help you, Don, with that speck in your eye. Punk. Like, just, it's, this is hyperbole on hyperbole. If you've got a giant log in your eye, are you going to help anybody with anything? No, you're not going to help anybody with anything. Jesus is contrasting the bigness of our problem with the smallness of their problem. See, when when it comes to our stuff, when it comes to our issues, do you know how we tend to respond? We get defensive. We start to rationalize. We make excuses. We justify our actions. Come on, cut me some slack. I'm just having a bad day. <laughs> Other people, though, are total jerkwads, and they need to change. <laughs> They've got issues. This tendency that we have actually has a term from psychologists it's called, I'm not making this up, it's called fundamental attribution error. When I first dated Jenny, I had this, uh, I had this thing, fundamental attribution error, because Jenny was late all the time. It was simple. You know why she was late? She didn't plan ahead. She had issues. She couldn't be on time. And then she worried so much about how she looked that she couldn't get out the door. Like, duh, simple rocket science. Now, when I'm late, holy cow, you would not believe traffic. And then I had to go back because Maddie forgot something. You see the difference? <laughs> when it comes to Jenny and being on time, the reason that Jenny is late is because Jenny's a slacker. Jenny has issues that she needs to work on. When I'm late, it's because of extenuating circumstances. Fundamental attribution error. This plays out at work and school all the time, right? Your coworkers have problems that need to be fixed. You, on the other hand, have stuff going on in your life and just need a break every now and then. And that, this is how it works. Theologian R.T. France, he says this, we mix ignorance of ourselves with arrogance 
towards others. Ignorance of ourselves with arrogance towards others. Here's how this plays out in church. On any particular Sunday, some of us are going to think, man, Dave so needed to be here today to hear this message from Pastor Max. Or there's the moments, right, where you're sitting next to somebody and you want to do the whole, hey, he's talking about your issue. Like, you so need to work on this. <laughs> you should listen to Max today. Like, he's speaking the truth, right? I mean, that's kind of how that works. Um, and the problem with all of it, though, is that when we have that attitude, it never plays out. When we needle someone in church, do they ever go, hey, thank you so much. I am so glad that you just needled me because you are so right. Max is speaking the truth and I have this issue. And I think even though they never do altar calls, I'm going to get up right now and go pray. <laughs> I'm going to go pray in the front to show you and everyone else, this is my issue, okay? <laughs> like, who does that ever? <laughs> like, it just doesn't happen. So when we have this condemning attitude, what we often miss is that what happens is it actually pushes people away. And when you're on the receiving end of an attitude like that, you close up. You're not interested in what that person has to say to you. Um, and so if you're a parent, this is really, really important. I'm going to talk about uh, creating safety for a moment, okay? So when you are condemning with your speech, your actions, and, and you're condemning somebody and their behavior, their issues, it creates relational problems, right? They, they want to avoid you. Uh, uh, they get hurt feelings. And the result of that is they become closed to what you have to say. Mullet man from my seminary days, I didn't care what he had to say about anything. Why? Because he was so full of himself. Like he could have pontificated about Christianity till the cows came home. Nah, 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 nah. Wasn't interested. When Mr. Perfect would be talking to me after church and telling me the discipline techniques I should try with John Mark, I was thinking of other things in my head as he droned on. I did not care what Mr. Perfect had to say. Wasn't it closed, right? This is how this works. Um, the opposite of that is what we want, right? And Jesus did this, by the way. If anybody could have showed up and condemned everyone and been right about it, it would have been Jesus. And yet, when he showed up, he came to save the world, not condemn the world. So, so Jesus front loads all of his relationships with acceptance, and he gets in trouble for it, right? All the time. Hey, Jesus, how come you went to that party? Don't you know whose house that is? You shouldn't be there. We know what kind of people live there. All the time, he's getting in trouble. But he creates relational safety because the relationship is front-loaded with acceptance. When there's relational safety, instead of being close to you, I'm open. And I'm willing to say, oh, hey, you know, I think I may have an issue with X. It's safe for me to say that. Let me tell you a story about how this pl plays out, and maybe this will make sense. I went to school with a... Uh, with a woman named Leslie. Leslie's father was a prominent evangelical pastor in the 1980s. In fact, he came to and did chapel at Wheaton once when I was a student there. But if you were to talk to Leslie, she was always mad at her dad because in her mind, 
Church always came first. She and her sisters always came dead last. And, and she was very mad and very bitter at her father for this. Um, and so, you know, we go through life. Uh, we all start having kids. And it rubbed her the wrong way when her dad would call and be interested in her children. Because her comments back were, well, you never came to my stuff. You never came to any of my concerts. Why should you care about your grandkids? <laughs> He died unexpectedly of a heart attack 10 years after graduation. At the funeral, some of his friends pulled Leslie aside and told her, do you know how heartbroken your father was about the kind of dad that he was growing up? What? Huh? Yeah. Oh, he, I remember, you know, the, he just bawled his eyes out telling me that you know, that the whole time he had chosen church over family and what a wrong decision that was for him and how sorry he was. And Leslie's like, we never told me. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why he never told you, huh? Weird, right? Relational safety was never safe for him to admit I stunk as a dad because every time it was met with barbs and yeah, right? So this is how this plays out. If you're a parent, by the way, and you've got kids, no matter how old they are, this is what you want. When you do the condemnation thing, uh, trust me. Like, I, I've, got, I've got some kids that are old enough now, like, I have to be careful what I say to them because if I, even if I say something with the best of intentions and they receive condemnation, it closes them up. Uh, when I started preaching for the first time regularly in 2006 here at Generations Community Church, my dad was part of the congregation. Every week, I got a handwritten note, and on the note listed the number of times I said, um, the number of us, the number of you knows. <laughs> now, did he mean well? Absolutely. Was it helpful? Yes. How did I receive that? Not good. <laughs> like, I did not want to see those pieces of paper. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, parents are seen to treat their children with an incivility which offered to any other young people would simply have terminated their acquaintance. In other words, he says, parents treat their kids so bad, if it were any other person, they'd be like, yep, not having anything to do with you. They're dogmatic on matters the children understand and the elders don't. They impose ruthless interruptions, flat contradictions, ridicule the things the young take seriously, and make insulting reference to their friends. This provides an easy explanation to the questions, why are they always out? Why are they always at other people's houses? And C.S. Lewis is like, duh, <laughs> duh. Who does not prefer civility to barbarism? And that's from a smart guy. A critical, condemning spirit, I'm just saying, a better off than, I'm better than you attitude, always closes off people, all right? So some questions to ask, right? Who do I hold in contempt in my life right now? Who in my life is unworthy in my own, in my own mind, in my own opinion? And then secondly, do those around me, including my family, feel loved or do they feel condemned? So the, the place to start is by looking in the mirror, right? Because Jesus is saying we have this tendency to have a log. So that's the place to start is to look in the mirror and see if there's a log. Am I accepting or condemning in my relationships? Now, 
let's say you have someone who is a mullet man in your life right now. What do you do? I, I want it, right? You could, you could very well be on the receiving end of mm, stuff, okay? First of all, listen. Like, I, right, right off the bat, because they think they're better than you, you don't want to have any, you don't want to hear anything they have to say, but you, I'm, I'm surprised that if I just listen, you know, their level goes down from a 10 to a 6. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's a little better. <laughs> um, realize that they have issues. Now, when, more often than not, and I'm going to make a generalization now, so, you know, eh, eh, danger. A lot of people who suffer from the I'm better than you, when you peel away the layers, at the heart of it is terrible insecurity, Right? The Instagram mom who constantly is posting these beautiful pictures, what she's saying is, tell me I'm a good mom, like it, like it, tell me I'm wonderful, right? The guy who on his business card lists all of his degrees, I'm smart, see how smart I am? Tell me I'm smart, right? You know, okay, so you get the idea, right? Realize they have issues. Pick your battles, pick your battles. If, if what the conflict is over is not essential, let it go, um, Number four, it's the relationship, not the issue. If they make it hard, remember, it's the relationship, not the issue. Um, keep a sense of humor. Notice I refer to him as mullet man. It's funny. <laughs> it's probably a little condemning. <laughs> and Jesus will convict me later today. But it puts a smile on my face and helps keep things in perspective. Jesus had a sense of humor. Um, Last but not least, remember who and whose you are, right? I'm, a, I'm, I'm Max, I'm a sinner who needs a savior just like everybody else. But I'm also beloved by my heavenly father, and so are you, right? So those are some things to keep in, in mind. When I was in my 30s, I got invited to speak to a church in North Carolina for their men's retreat. And in my 30s, I was convinced church is real simple. You do these five things, you grow a church, it's not rocket science, anybody can do this, easy breezy, and I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder, all right? And so I went to this church and did this retreat, and the first couple of sessions were basically more or less condemnations about how they did church. The interesting thing about the retreat, total bomb, like it was obvious by the middle part of the second day, this is not going well. <laughs> People are not connecting. In fact, they're a little hostile. Hmm. Uh, and so I, at the time, wrote it off of, man, these people are so close to God. <laughs> Fast forward a decade or so, uh, a couple of years ago, I got asked to do a retreat uh, for the leadership of Central Baptist Hospital. And at first I said, no, I, there's nothing I can help you with. And they asked like two more times, and finally I was like, well, okay, maybe we'll go on this journey together. I asked a ton of questions. Why are you having this retreat? What do you want to know? What do you want to learn? Where do you want to go? And I show up, and, and I'm there, and there's these like, the guy before me is the head of surgery giving this egghead talk, and I'm like, man, I, I don't belong here. Like, this is weird. So I did my thing, and when it was over, it was the weirdest thing. People were like, this is the best retreat we've ever had. Could you do this again? Actually, could you come to my church? My church needs to hear this, da-da-da-da. Now, same guy, you know, just separated by a decade, right? No. <laughs> it was attitude. 
was attitude. God opposes the Say this with me. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Oh, you better believe he does.